Chapter 5. Sheep Yarns For quite a few years now, Elaine had kept a flock of coloured sheep in the back paddock, mainly Robneys and the odd merino, whose fleeces she used for spitting and selling onto other spinners and crafters. Their colours went from black to white and just about every sheepy tone in between, but predominantly, as far as I could tell, mainly various shades of brown. One evening, Elaine called me over to her computer and asked me what I thought of the unusual-looking sheep she had on her screen. What's that funny-looking beastie, I asked, as I stared at a rangy-looking brownie, blacky ram, with splotches of white on him, and over his neck and spectacular wrap-around horns, and a smug, superior look on his face. Those horns are pretty cool, I added. That is an Arapara ram, she informed me. A native of New Zealand feral sheep from Arapara Island in the Marlborough Sounds, she added. And I want one. Well, some, actually, she continued. No, no, I said, there are no native animals in New Zealand except birds and marine life. I continued authoritatively. I think someone's trying to sell you a story. My authoritative academic air fell away as Elaine, having researched the sheep and their history and wool quality over the preceding hours, then brought me up to speed on this interesting breed. Arapara Island is a relatively large and remote island in Cook Strait, the seaway separating New Zealand's north and south islands. Windswept and wild, it became home to some merino sheep that, like the end of the island rabbits, were dropped off, probably by whalers as a source of meat for stranded sailors. Like the rabbits, due to the harsh conditions on such an exposed island, these feral sheep evolved into their current form in order to, to survive. They are highly resistant to foot rot, and their fleece will only grow so long before they shed their wool naturally. Their high resistance to fly strike has led to research on the breed being conducted to introduce this characteristic into a new no-fuss sheep breed. I think as a rare breed's farm, Warwick's farm should invest a few, in a few of them to do our bit for conservation. And give me some more felting options, Elaine stated. Uh, I think we may have a current cash flow issue that you may have forgotten about, I replied, my words stripping with sarcasm. Not if they are free, Elaine said triumphantly, game set and matched to her. A couple of days later, a fellow rare breeder from the west coast who was trying to downsize his flock bounced his trailer into our driveway with two weird-looking new lambs and a funny-looking ram lamb on board. Driving into the black back paddock to unload them, the coaster watched our faces as the lambs, rather than jumping down off the trailer, jumped up with a huge bound once the cable was lifted from the top of the trailer, and then continued bouncing across the paddock as if their legs were spring-loaded. Funny little buggers, eh? their chauffeur said, shaking his head at the offer of a cuppa, and heading back down the highway. We have these funny little buggers, breed with a black and coloured flock over the years, and as a result we have a particularly hardy and healthy flock. The young ram grew into a magnificent creature called Wedge, a real trophy set of merino-like horns that grow to about a metre long stretched out. It was his horns that earned him his name. By the time he had matured, he would always give us grief when we were running the sheep through the yards for shearing, drenching and so on. There would be a hold-up in the crush, and inevitably it would always be Wedge who's handled by our horns that got stuck on each set of rails, and we would have to climb across and twist them loose to get the traffic moving again. Always aloof, but ready for a good bounce and alert to the goings-on in his paddock, Wedge was a true patriarch, keeping the younger rams under control and making sure all the girls were happily satisfied in the romantic department. A very good thing about Wedge was that while he was certainly no pet and kept a very healthy distance from humans when at all possible, he never once tried to charge anyone, nor have any of his sons. Wedge passed away last season, but his son Wedge, the second, is truly his father's son and looks identical to him, and has taken us over his mantle with ease. Wedge lives on, however, <clears throat> on the pages of a creative fibre magazine, 
and also a black and coloured sheep association publication, and this head displaying his resplendent horns is currently sitting on the roof of a shed next to the hay barn, much to Elaine's dismay. A wonderful bonus to having Arapara sheep that we were not aware of when we got them was the magic that takes place when an Arapara and a Merino get together. Some kind of alchemy happens and in due course these beautiful panda lambs arrive to adorn the nursery paddock. Very similar to the Jacob sheep from the United Kingdom in appearance, we either get white lambs with black spot stroke markings or black ones with white spot stroke markings. It's always a delightful highlight of the year when lambing these cute creatures appear. We now have two flocks of sheep at either end of the farm. The other one consists of orphan lambs that we have hand fed over the years and their offspring and later their offspring. Nova, our first orphan lamb you'll meet a bit later, is now a great grandmother. We also have a small flock of Gotland pelt sheep. These intriguing sheep originate from the island of Gotland, a dependency of Sweden situated in the Baltic Sea. In the 1920s, the native sheep of Gotland Island, the Goot, was selectively bred with a variety of sheep, including ancient Viking ones, to create today's hornless, even-coated, even-bodied Gotland pelt sheep. The pelts are highly prized in Europe in the creation of fashion garments, hence the name Gotland Pelt. Closer to home, many of the stunning garments used in the making of the Lord of the Rings trilogy were made from the Gotland Pelt soft curly fleece, which is also sought after by spinners and felters. Warwick's farm was delighted to be approached by Peter Jackson's production company, Three Foot High, which is incidentally is the height of a hobbit, and we proudly supplied five Gotland Pelt fleeces for use as props in the Hobbit movie, along with some rare breed turkey and goose feathers. Found on a small scale only in Sweden as a multi-purpose wool and meat breed, there are approximately 80,000 Gotland pelts in Sweden, thousands of which of a thousand now being farmed in New Zealand. Gotland pelt sheep with their black heads and grey bodies are very curious and friendly, being closer in personality and appearance to goats than to sheep, and it didn't take long once Elaine discovered them that some settled in at Warwick's farm. As a fast-growing rare breeds farm, we decided we had to find a handsome ram for our girls to do our bit, conserving the breed, so along came Harry. Gotland rams have a reputation for jumping over fences, which is not good, especially when you live by the highway and are surrounded by other farms. That was why, before we bought Harry, we were assured that he was guaranteed not to be a jumper. After a couple of days on the farm, Harry started to pay a lot of attention to the dozens of ewe lambs or ewes across the fence at Mr Thomas's sheep farm. In fact, after a few days, he was busy pacing up and down the fence line, talking to the girls next door. One morning, as I was doing the rounds, I noticed that Harry was not by the fence, and I thought that was good, as he must be settling down to life on Warwick's farm. However, on closer inspection, I discovered he was gone, and looking over the fence, far into the distance of Mr Thompson's farm, I saw this grey creature running around with all these beautiful white ewes. So much for not being a jumper, I cursed. Struggling over the barbed wire fence, I took off in pursuit, trying to divert Harry away from the girls he was chasing. But after ten minutes, I was doubled over breathless. And facing the reality that I would have to find the farmer, politely advise him of the situation, and call on his assistance to solve our mutual problem. This I was definitely not looking forward to. I jogged across three large paddocks to the farmhouse, and the farmer's wife, giving me a worried look, said Mr Thompson was in the shearing shed along the road but she would go and tell him. I said I'd go back to Harry and wait for him. After a long walk back 
walk back to where Harry and his new girlfriends were in a short wait. I heard Mr. Thompson bouncing across the paddock with a sheepdog barking on the back of his ute. He skidded to a stop next to me, glaring at me with a not-so-hospitable look in his face, and I got on the passenger seat and gave him a sweet smile and apologised about Harry. We decided we'd have to round up the flock and run them down to the yards. Under normal circumstances, this would have been quite enjoyable, using the ute and the dog to herd them all together and run them through the gates and finally to the yards. This was much more fun than doing it on a pushbike, as I was used to on Warwick's farm. When we had them in the yards, Mr Thompson, who was quite an elderly man, having worked on the farm for over 50 years, advised me that he was getting too old to tackle rams and left me to catch Harry. On the fourth lap around the yards, and much to old Mr T's amusement, I leapt on Harry's back and finally managed to grab him. We tied his legs together and I put together a makeshift halter and lead made out of binder twine and we put him on the back of the ute. We delivered him back to the fence, dividing the properties, and we both men handled him over it, and he was now safely back on Warwick's farm, nearly two hours after I'd found him gone. I apologised again to Mr T, but he smiled at me, I think he quite enjoyed the roundup, and said in fact Harry had got through the day before, and he had not jumped the fence, but burrowed under it, and it was half Mr T's fault for not repairing it properly, which he then proceeded to do. I told him we would also attach a car tyre and a lead to Harry, so he wouldn't get away again. I once again apologised on both Harry and my behalf after Mr T explained that he was keeping that particular flock of ewes out of land this season and that he would drop any little grey things that arrived in spring over the fence for us. You would think that would be the end of the story. However, two days later, Harry was gone again. A grey blur in the distance on Mr T's farm. He had somehow wriggled under the fence again, taking the tyre with him and I really didn't, did not want to bother Mr Thompson a second time. Fortunately, as Harry was slowed down by his tyre bouncing along behind him, after about 30 minutes I was able to run him down and managed to drag him back out of sight of Mr T's house to the paddock next to our place, where we both collapsed in a gasping heap got our breath back. After another 10 minutes of dragging him back to Warwick's farm, I tied him to the fence and waited for Bruce to come home from work to give me a hand getting him back over the fence. We then found a chain and anchored it to a willow tree and tied the tie to the chain and finally he was secure at last. It turned out that one of Nova's grandsons had matured a little earlier than we had expected and had been happily looking after our girls before Harry's arrival, hence his interest in the girls next door. Not wanting to keep Harry tied to the tree any longer than was necessary, we were fortunately able to, within a few days, recoup his cost and find him a more secure home where he wouldn't have to jump or tunnel his way to true love. Another interesting fact about Gotland pelt sheep is that like Arapara sheep, if they are not shorn when fully fleeced, they will shed their wool. The new fleece will start growing under the old one, and eventually the last season's wool will start to shed as it catches on tree branches and so on. It was as Elaine and I were crossing the Gotland paddock that lies between the barn and the cottage, that we came up behind Hermione and noticed that her fleece was coming away at the neck. Quietly sneaking up behind her, I reached across and grabbed a piece of it in each hand, and with a start she leapt forward, and I found I was cleanly holding wool from her neck and now her shoulders. Elaine went inside to find some scissors. While she was gone, Hermione took me for a ski around the paddock, all the while the fleece that I was gripping tightly was coming away freely and evenly. By the time Elaine got back, I was standing there with a silly expression on my face, holding the whole blanket in my hands. Literally a sheepskin rug, but without the skin, and a live and happy sheep in the paddock. The underside is all felted. 
though with the beginnings of some holes that would have inevitably snagged on things, ripping the wall away. The new fleece had been pushing the old fleece away, and it had felt like I was putting against Velcro, and as long as I held it evenly, it came off in one piece. It is such an extraordinary story, pulling a fleece off a sheet's back, that I am sure many of our visitors think it is a bit of a tall tale, and I take great delight in watching their faces, as when their tour concludes in the barn I show them our skin the sheepskin rug. Discussing the experience with a vastly experienced and a renowned rare breeder and animal conservationist, he gave the impression that he was absolutely disgusted that some Johnny-come-lately lifestyle blocker could stumble across something that he had been trying to do for so many years. It seems that the window of opportunity to do what I did so accidentally is very small and depends on several factors, including the state of the weather, the sheep and the wool and so on. Maybe this was an omen, but our luck was a change.